We know that voices are more powerful than the money in the end because we have seen organized voters, groups of constituents get together and get progressive democracy reforms passed even where money used to do all the talking. Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Adrian Guest, along with my co-host, Devin Dito. Today's episode is about campaign finance reform. Money in politics certainly controls who gets in office and what gets done. And we have two great guests on the show today to talk to us about that relationship between money and politics and just to give a little bit more livelihood to it. So today we're joined by Cheeson Lee and Gregory Clark from the Brennan Center for Justice. Just to give you a little background of our guests, Cheeson is the the deputy director of the Brennan Center's election reform program, where she works to advance money and politics reform and improve election administration. She leads strategy and research for policy initiatives, legislative campaigns, publications, litigation, and public uh, public advocacy. Gregory Clark is a research and program associate in the democracy program at the Brennan Center for Justice. He works on the money and politics team, where he supports attorneys as well as providing research. He graduated from Stanford University with a Bachelor of Arts in Public Science and, excuse me, in Political Science in 2020. So, uh, Chisin and Gregory, thank you both for joining uh, Devin and myself on the show today. We're really happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, for sure. So just to kind of get into it, our first segment here, we're kind of theming this as investigating uh, investigating money in politics. We want to kind of set the stage for our listeners and kind of uh, you know talk about why we're you know, you know bringing some life to this subject. So one of the first questions we wanted to kind of analyze, and and Jason or Gregory, you know whichever one would like to take the first question can you know go ahead and do so. But with the Supreme Court's decision from Citizens United. Super PACs were allowed to make unlimited indirect contributions to campaigns. This could influence ads, opposition research, and a lot of other things. When you think about this compared to the individual donor like you and I, the voice of the people seems to be almost outspent by super PACs. When you consider minority communities, especially where their wages are lower, this is kind of aggravated. So our first question how have super PACs really changed fundraising for candidates and how has it affected the ability of small donors to influence politicians? Yeah, so that's a great question, Adrian. Um, and I think it's a telling question also, because technically speaking, the super PACs that are the progeny of the Citizens United decision in 2010 are not supposed to be making contributions to candidates, direct or indirect. They're supposed to be operating, quote unquote, totally independently. Now, your question, of course, speaks to common sense perception of what is going on, which is that um, in many cases that independence is really technical and voters and members of the public see that mega donors who can now spend unlimited amounts on elections through super PACs are really influencing outcomes and have tremendous sway in campaigns. So this has created a situation in recent years where the imbalance between 
these mega donors and small donors is just increasing. And the good news is there are solutions on the horizon for pushing back at that. But you're absolutely right to to identify that trend that's going on right now. Right. And and one of the things, you know, we kind of wanted to ask you about, uh, Gregory, I guess you could take this question here. It's just, you know, money in politics, as we know, is, is, it's been a big topic the last, I would say, two or three cycles, even when President Obama first ran. I think a lot of people were just in awe of just the amount of money that he ran because he really went digital with it. And every year, it seems like the the amount of money that's raised for the cycle just increases. I mean, both um, Joe Biden and Donald Trump raised over a billion dollars, which is astronomical when you think about it. Um, when you think about the problems that the country has. And so I, I guess the question is just like, how did we get to this point? You know, is it just Citizens United? Because that's what usually gets most of the attention. But are there some other things, some court cases that kind of got us to this moment where there is this imbalance between big donors and small donors? Yeah, no, no, that's another excellent question. And I think, you know, it's it, this this groundswell of big money that has flowed into our campaign finance system, um, you know, has really exploded because of Citizens United. Um, but it it was ongoing. Um, and so, you know, as uh, you mentioned, uh, a flood of independent spending that came out of the Citizens United decision and the, the um, how how impactful big donors are on our system was just magnified. But even looking before Citizens United, which happened in 2010, big donors were still able to um, dominate our political system. And there was a important racial dimension um, for these big donors. And these big donors tended to be um, whiter. And there's research that has shown that you know, a, a lot of the individual contributions um, 91% of them to state and federal candidates uh, came from non-Hispanic whites over the last decades, which is from 1980 to 2012. So it's not only this flood of big money coming into the system that has been going on over time, um, but it's particularly you know, targeted toward a specific population has such a big hold on our uh, campaign finance system. And um, yeah, and so Citizens United really just magnified that and just took it to another level. And I think, Gregory, what you were talking about with how it really impacted minority communities, obviously with the Black Agenda, that's what we really focus on. But that it's so important to, to talk about that because the minority community has already been disenfranchised from the political process, you know, as, as a whole. So when you're talking about the fact that a lot of the, the, the money behind it uh, is not really in the minority community's favor, it just really seems like a double whammy to the system. And, and I guess one question, um, because I've, I've looked over the website and it looks like there's a lot of, you know, things about growing uh, dark money, gray money, uh, working on the local and state levels and how disclosure laws and loopholes within those laws may may not necessarily be enough. Uh, maybe they're not strong enough in certain states or on the federal level. So one question I guess we could ask, um, should it matter where money comes from if we truly believe in that candidate? Like, you know, does it matter that they disclose where they get their resources if we believe in them? Or how should we view politicians who accept money but aren't transparent of those sources? Yeah, so 
Transparency is extremely important because we've seen that the so-called dark money, which we also call secret spending, can often be what is behind the most negative attack ads or the most misleading messages in campaigns. Um, And voters deserve to know whether the messages they're hearing about candidates are truthful. And part of that is finding out what the actual interest is behind that message, who's really funding it. So disclosure is extremely important. And there are efforts at the federal level right now to increase transparency in political spending. And then there's some states and cities that have already been um, really rigorous in trying to peel back the layers of that secretive spending so that voters can have the best information possible when they're going in to make their choices. Uh, and that's that's part of really what we think needs to happen to, as you're saying, empower voters more, empower small donors more, and empower candidates who rely on small donors, a base of regular constituents, popular support to get their message out and may not start out with that access to the wealthy donors, may not ha- know somebody who can start a super PAC to fund their message. That's really, really important. I think whenever we think about, you know, politics and government, we really need to make sure that anybody can, you know, be someone who can be a candidate and get those ideas out without having to go to these super PACs and these uh, secret voters and or uh, secret spending and different things like that. So we really, really appreciate the insight that you both have given us uh, within this first segment. Uh, Devin, I'm not sure if you have any other comments, but if not, I'll let you take us into our uh, break. And- sure. I mean, yeah, the only thing I thought of was interesting is, um, you know, you think about it, how things have changed. You know, the I think I feel like Bernie Sanders really kind of put it, you know, in, in the public eye really to say, look, I'm not taking any money from, you know, corporations or special interests. And now with the past cycle, it was like a competition to see who wasn't taking or who was taking money from special interests. You know, candidates were actually on stage trying to compete and say, I didn't take any money, you know, from these particular groups of people or things like that. And so I think it's it's kind of funny. We're having a conversation and, and people, they're responding finally to politicians are, but the rules um, still haven't really changed just yet. So we're going to talk about that um, on the other side of the break. So we're going to take our very first break. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about, you know, the Brennan Center for Justice and then we'll also dig into kind of some of the things that we can do, um, you know, to try to fix this problem with money and politics. So stick with us and we'll be right back. Would you like to contribute to our scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, go to patron.podbean.com forward slash black agenda pod. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, let's get back into it here. Our second segment here. Remember, we're joined today by Chisen Lee, who is a deputy director of election reform program for the Brennan Center 
and Gregory Clark, who's also a research and program associate also for the Brennan Center for Justice. So to set the stage for our second segment, we're talking about the fight for fairness and the Brennan Center for Justice. And just to kind of give our view, our listeners uh, a little bit of insight into the organization, uh, would you take a quick second, uh, Chisun, to give us a quick overview of the organization for clarity? Yes, I'm happy to. So the Brennan Center for Justice is a nonpartisan, nonprofit, public policy and law institute, and we work on strengthening and expanding democracy in a few ways, um, helping to design and implement and pass legislation, uh, sometimes fighting in court and always working in coalition with um, grassroots organizations, and really groups of just organized citizens who want to make democracy better. We focus on money and politics reform, which we're talking with you about today. We also, of course, work on expanding and defending voting rights and other issues that affect our democracy. All of those are very, very important issues. And, and it's one of those things to where, as we've been kind of talking about the subject um, of campaign finance reform, we've almost kind of mentioned the fact that, you know, to the general population, it's probably not the hottest topic right now. It's probably not the sexiest thing that's happening, especially when you think about COVID, police brutality, uh, the economic decline, different things, trying to build back better, as President uh, Joe Biden says. So our question, how difficult is it for the Brennan Center for Justice to engage with the general public? And if there is, could you just show us a connection between campaign finance reform and those other table issues that I mentioned that would actually get people more involved in the work you do? Absolutely. So I think that in terms of the education piece, you're 100 percent right. It, small uh, Campaign finance reform and Um, public financing are difficult uh, issues to understand. But, you know, one of the things that the Brennan Center really tries to do is work in coalitions with groups on the ground who focus on some of the issues that you mentioned, right? We're coming out of a COVID crisis um, where health disparities are at the forefront of people's minds. We're coming out of an economic crisis where, you know, the economy and jobs are at the forefront of people's mind. So we work in coalition with groups um, to be able to build a strong, um, you know, coalition to advocate for the policies that we desire and the forms that we desire in our campaign finance uh, system, but also to help them understand how campaign finance reform is fundamentally foundational to a lot of the reforms that they are seeking. Because, you know, if you look at you know, healthcare inequities in our society, um, you know, that is influenced by the big money spent by the healthcare lobby. Um, if you look at issues around, um, you know, anything, housing, economic issues, those are related to big spending from wealthy donors that have interests in those specific areas. So by working with grassroots allies who focus on these issues, we educate them on how they can utilize public financing and they then go and talk with their membership um, to about some of the benefits of public financing. And we had a recent campaign here in New York State um, to get a public financing statewide public financing law for statewide candidates and state legislative candidates 
past. And a lot of that was built by coalition work um, that we did together with our allies. Um, and we were able to educate them and we had a you know broad, strong coalition that was able to get public financing passed uh, in 2020. Um, and it was a hard, strong, difficult effort. Um, it took many years and many obstacles, but through educating those groups who don't just focus on democracy issues, who focus on a wide range of issues, we're able to have a powerful campaign and we're able to get that law passed. And so that's how the Brennan Center thinks about it. We work in coalition with folks um, to be able to help them understand how campaign finance reform connects connects to their issues. Right. And, and that was kind of our, um, you know, kind of our second question, um, you know, which was just, you know, if we really thought that people understood the connection there between, you know, money in politics and also voters' frustration with issues like gun control and health care and, and the tax code that just seemed to not ever really get resolved, you know, we, we've seen the public polling, which shows that most people are for some type of gun control, yet people scratch their heads when they see nothing happening really in Congress. And I think money in politics is a big reason why you don't see things move like that. So I guess, Chising, you can take this question, but um, what do you think, would it, what, what would it take, I guess, you know, for voters to understand that the very politicians that they keep, you know, going to the ballot box for, um, are not they're not beholden to them. They're actually beholden to the folks who are putting money in their pockets, not so much the voters who are going to the ballot box, I guess. Right. I do think a lot of voters do understand that dynamic. Um, but but what has been missing a lot is the alternative. What is a better way? And that's work that we at the Brennan Center, frankly, need to do more of and better and are part of a coalition, um, both locally in places like New York State and also nationally to try to get a federal bill that's on the table right now over the finish line to present voters with an alternative to the way things work now and show how there is a path forward, even with the Supreme Court, which is the Supreme Court that gave us Citizens United is not going to change that anytime soon. There's a path forward to enact a reform where regular voters, regular constituents, people's neighbors, um, their coworkers, family members can get together and support candidates who do stand for the values that they care most about as voters whether it is reform of the criminal law enforcement system, other forms of racial justice work, um, fair housing, access to good health care and education, and know that there is a way with campaign finance reform to take the power of regular voters, people who cannot afford to write a big check, and still use that support and that momentum and collective influence to lift up candidates who will stand for middle and working class voters. And because of the multiplication of small donations through a solution Greg was mentioning, um, public financing, they can actually 
provide, you know, they're not going to outspend mega donors, but can they contribute enough and be multiplied and amplified enough to get strong candidates out there enough to compete? And they can. And that's a solution that we are getting out there um, more and as much as we can and something that I think will give a lot of folks reason to hope and engage in this problem. You're right. I mean, when, when you think about, especially like in the South where, uh, you know, like, like we were talking about minorities, you know, needing, you know, better access to health care or grocery stores or whatever the case may be, and not having the ability to really donate, you know, to out donate, you know, these super PACs and things like that. It's, it's really hard to figure out, you know, where the solution is and, 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 and what we can do. But I'm hopeful that by having these sorts of engaging conversations, we can show people that, you know, this is an easy solution because if you made a system where, you know, candidates, you know, had an equitable way of running to where they didn't have to raise so much money to do ads and be on radio and television, then it would be more about the candidate and more about the ideas and more about the vision that they're hoping to bring to the people rather than about how much they can fund. Because you, you look at so many uh, reports where, you know, winning candidates for, you know, U.S. Congress, you know, raised nearly two million, Senate nearly four million. And most people who are, you know, teachers or or maybe a factory worker who really has good ideas in their community, they hear that and they're like, there's no way I can transform, even though I have passion and I have, you know, admiration to really do stuff for generations to come. So I think that if, if, if we can really just show people that that's what this is all about. Yes, you know, it's, you know, elections happen every so many years, but even when you're talking about the lobbying, even when you're talking about just, you know, getting a meeting with congressmen, there's a lot of money that goes behind and underneath the table that we don't know about. So it's so important that we talk about this and we really, really thank you for bringing uh, some livelihood to this subject and for you all championing it. So what we're going to do here, uh, we're going to take our next break here. When we come back, we're going to get into our third segment. So listeners, stick with us. We'll be right back. You have been listening to the Black Agenda podcast hosted by Adrian Guest and Devin Dado. If you enjoy listening to the show, let the host know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash black agenda pod and giving a few dollars after all the black agenda podcast is supported by listeners like you let's get back to the show all right welcome back listeners so we're getting into our third segment here our final segment uh with miss tison lee uh, who is the deputy director of election reform program Uh, democracy at uh, the Brennan Center for Justice, and then also Mr. Gregory Clark, who is a research and program associate. So we've had a a fantastic conversation with them on kind of the history of money in politics, um, you know, the fight that the Brennan Center for Justice is doing um, on the ground. And so, you know, we kind of touched on it last segment, but just, you know, they're obviously, you know, the title for this segment is There Must Be a Better Way. And you were kind of talking about that, um, but both of you were talking about that in the last segment. And so we know it takes a lot of money, you know, to campaign and to win. This past election was no different. Um, And it seems like the system of campaign finance really can't be fixed until we either make campaigns cheaper, which is probably not going to happen, 
or we make you know the way people give donations more equitable. And so one way of doing this is by matching small donor donations or maybe um, you know fifty dollars becomes three hundred and fifty dollars for the candidate. And so um, you know I guess either one, Gregory or Thiessen, you, you either one can take this question, but just how would a small donor matching system, you know, really benefit our democracy? And are there, you know, other better solutions that would help take uh, big money out of politics? Absolutely. Well, I'm think, happy. Oh, well, what, what if I gave, um, I want to give like a general framework and then I would love for Greg to talk about a study where he, he really helped to lead the research showing particular benefits um, for candidates who have the least access to big dollars, namely women of color. Um, but I'll just say very briefly that as you're saying small donor match public financing can be a powerful alternative to the way things happen now. And we've done studies federally and in New York state showing that when a program like that is designed well, candidates who have that community support can actually raise as much as they're raising now under the strictly private campaign finance system. So it's an equal win for candidates, but then they also don't have to spend all that time on the phone dialing for big dollars. They can combine their desire to be out in the community talking to constituents, which is why they all ran in the first place with a small donor fundraising strategy. So that really aligns both parts of having to be a viable candidate, which is raising the money to compete and then getting out there and spreading the message, listening to constituents and really showing that they can deliver on a policy level. Those things combine under public financing. And that really has to be part of a comprehensive campaign finance reform package that includes, you know, we need to try to lower contribution limits and ensure there's transparency but the small donor match public financing is a particularly powerful tool. And we have the chance right now to get that passed as part of the For the People Act that's before the U.S. Senate right now. The U.S. House of Representatives already passed it. Um, President Biden has indicated he's very supportive of it. So the Senate is the obstacle. Um, but I'd love to turn it over to Gregory right now to talk about why we think and know that this can be so transformative in Congress. Absolutely. So one of our recent studies looked at uh, federal campaign donations uh, to House candidates between 2012 and 2018. We were particularly trying to see what is the impact on marginalized candidates. So women, candidates of color, and particularly we wanted to focus on women of color. Um, and when we looked at a uh, fundraising landscape that currently exists, we found that women and candidates of color rely more on small donations than their white and or male opponents. And so since they rely more on small donations, and as Chison mentioned, the small donor matching system magnifies these small donations that go towards these candidates. All candidates receive a boost, of course, but women candidates and candidates of color receive targeted boosts. Um, and then when you look at 
the fundraising disparity that exists between women of color candidates and all other candidates and how this reform is a sort of corrective measure at some of the historical inequities that uh, we mentioned in, in the first segment and, and within the campaign finance system. And so we saw that the fundraising, if the reform that is outlined in the For the People Act was enacted in the 2018 House elections, the gap between women of the fundraising gap between women of color candidates and all other candidates would reduce by about 34%. So you see this corrective piece that you know allows for yes donors and um, more donors to come into the fray and uh, better representation amongst uh, elected officials, but as we see the, the, the demographic differences between our uh, U.S. population and who represents us in Congress, the campaign finance system is one integral barrier to re- achieving the representation that we want to see. And the research has shown that this reform, public, a federal public small donor public financing program, would be powerful in correcting some of those inequities. No, that, you know, th- I think that those are the types of things that it's almost like you always say, well, I guess Devin and I, we both say that, you know, a lot of parties don't do a good job of marketing. And I feel like if more people would do better jobs of marketing those sorts of issues, and I feel like it would be much easier to kind of sell this over to the people, uh, because that's what it seems like, you know, that there's an issue about that. Um, one of the other things, uh, and kind of keeping in the theme of, you know, there must be a better way, um, you know, equity and fairness have been really important. I mean, we're, we're in a time where more people are woke and aware of what's going on, want to run for office, want to do change or different things like that. So, you know, what if we had a system where candidates didn't have to raise money? Like, you know, if we had a system where, you know, during elections, you know, candidates had same access to advertisements, same access to social medias, TV, office space, staffing, et cetera. If we took out the reasons that candidates had to raise so much money, um, could that be a possible solution that would benefit us? Well, I'll just say I think we are... um very, we're pretty far from that kind of picture. And Brennan Center has not looked at a solution that different than what we have right now. So um, I'm not sure we can speak to that. But I wanted to speak to your earlier point about how much public education there is to do. There's so much opportunity for that right now. We think you're exactly right, that there is an appetite for progressive change and to democratize the political process. People can clearly see how voting relates to that. Um, And as you know, we're embroiled in, in huge battles across the country about that. Campaign finance is much less of a household issue for people. And all of us, including the the podcast that you all are doing, which is fantastic, need to talk about this as a bread and butter issue of democracy. And right now, we have the way it is. Um, We love that you're asking that there must be a better way and what could that be? And people need to realize that there is a concrete reform on the table. 
that they could be um, supporting and pushing for right now, that would go a long way toward changing things. It's a voluntary small donor public financing system, as they all must be in this country. Um, but it's an alternative and it's there. And we've spoken with plenty of candidates and current office holders who support this really strongly and would love to use that alternative if it were there, because they would love to be able to go out in the community and ask for constituent support and engage with them and ask for that $10 donation that gets multiplied to a much bigger donation while they're having the block party, while they're out there talking about what needs to be improved in their community instead of having to deal with that problem of having to do fundraising on the side and be out among constituents. So the better way, I don't know if it is the absolute ideal way that you're asking for, but a much better way is currently on the table. So the question is really how much people are going to push for that and how much people in Congress representing all of us are going to hear that the voters want this. Right. And, and that's one of the things I think, you know, like you say, there's, there's plenty of education that can be done to tell people what's in, you know, the current, um, the For the People Act. And I think one of the things that we could be used to help tell that story is just, I know a lot of people feel as though they waste their votes voting for smaller name candidates who they feel may not necessarily have, you know, a chance because they're smaller, they don't have a big campaign. And, and it kind of goes back to what Gregory was saying as far as how the current system of donations and, and money in politics really hurts, um, you know, the minority community, blacks, black people, uh, women. And so it just there could be awesome candidates out there who you would love to vote for. Uh, but people just don't because they're like, well, they're not going to win because they don't have the money like the other big name candidate. Um, and so I think if you could tell people, look, we have an opportunity here with the For the People Act to really kind of level the playing field in a really serious way, then maybe, you know, that they would be more excited and more apt to go out and, and call the representatives and put some pressure on them, you know, to, to pass this particular bill. The Senate is tricky. <laughs> so um, we, we'll see, but hopefully that comes about. Um, I think that's it for our third segment here. So we're going to take our last break and then when we come back, we'll get your final messages. So uh, stick with us. We'll be right back. We absolutely appreciate your support. You are the foundation and our efforts work to better your communities. Tell your family and friends so we can all work to bring progress. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back. So as always, we like to end the show with the final message from our guests here. And we have two. So you have, uh, you know, double final messages here. So um, to begin with, uh, we have, again, uh, Ms. Chison, uh, Chison Lee, uh, Deputy Director of Election Reform Program Democracy, and Mr. Gregory Clark, who's a Research and Program Associate. Uh, both of them are from the Brennan Center for Justice. And so, uh, again, we wanted to get a final message from both of you, uh, Gregory and Chison. And so, Gregory, you're up first uh, here. And so, um, we have again, we appreciate you coming on the show and giving us your expertise, your research that you've been doing. And so, we wanted to ask you, you know, ask you, you know, what inspired you 
you know, to want to champion this cause, this this push for campaign finance reform? And what would you say to other young people, um, you know, around the country who may be listening, you know, to get them involved? And you know, what would you say to them as to why campaign finance reform is important? Absolutely. Um, and again, thank you all for inviting uh, myself and Chisun to join you all. It's been a great conversation and really enjoyed chatting with you all. Um, but I would say to folks um, who, are in, who are interested in campaign finance reform and interested in some of the issues that we touched on today, um, you know, when you're young, the way to understand things better is to just get involved. And so uh, education is a key piece. That's what brought me to this reform um, and to this work. Um, I remember in being in a college class and them talking about public financing, but my professor discredited it um, along with the paper that we were reading as it, it wasn't possible. You know, this isn't attainable. And I think that's something that a lot of issues that happen in the world, a lot of people say this isn't possible. This isn't attainable. Um, but I felt like, no, public financing is an intriguing solution. And I think it is possible for us to pass campaign finance reform and to empower everyday Americans and young people like myself uh, who just graduated from college and you know, care about the world that we live in and want to see the country move in a direction that's towards a more equitable and just society. And as Chisun and I mentioned earlier, Campaign finance reform is so foundational to all of those issues because, um, you know, our, our elected leaders listen to folks more intently when a donation is behind them. And so by giving these candidates an alternative to the big money system and allowing them to engage with everyday people and folks like myself, it just gives us an opportunity to showcase what we care about and the world that we want to see and the country that we want to see. Um, and so that's why I, I, what I would say to young people, just, you know, get involved and know that this issue is so heavily connected to all of the issues that are being spoken about and discussed in our society. So if we are able, if, if we are able to reform our system, you know, it could lead to that sort of society. No, I like that, Gregory. That that's really awesome. It's you know, I, lo- I love how you said everyday people because that's you know, this is an issue that everyday people should be concerned with. Um, because I mean, it makes us think about you know, our government of the people, by the people, for the people. I mean, everyday people is making up our government, making those decisions, and we've got to kind of bridge this over. So, Chisun, to kind of set the stage for your uh, final message, you know. After we've talked so much about campaign finance reform, we've talked about big money, dark money, secret money, and all these things. You may be having some people who are listening to this episode and thinking there's no way possible they can have any sort of reform because there's so much money. There's billionaires that are involved in this. So to the person that may be thinking of running for office but's afraid because of the money, or maybe even the person who doesn't go out to vote because they think money controls everything – Chisun, leave us with a final message that really speaks to why our voices are truly more powerful than the money. We know that voices are more powerful than the money in the end because we have seen organized voters, groups of constituents get together and get progressive democracy reforms passed, even where money used to do all the talking. 
we mentioned a successful campaign to get small donor public financing passed in New York State. People in other parts of the country think of New York State as lefty liberal. Well, of course, that would happen here. That was by no means the case when we started this. The capital of New York State, Albany, has for decades dealt with political corruption scandals, had some of the highest contribution limits in the country. Um, We would look at campaign donation records and find that a lot of candidates ran on just a few huge checks and they were not out in the community seeking support from their constituents. And against those odds and against an incumbency that was not initially friendly to the idea of campaign finance reform, we worked, as Gregory said, in coalition with community groups, with working people, with racial justice organizations, housing advocates, healthcare advocates, um, groups across the board, environmental protection advocates, reproductive rights groups, and got together and lobbied, designed a program that candidates can opt into if they want to in future elections and where they can still raise competitive amounts, even if they opt to raise that money from small donors. And it worked. So it's possible. Um, There are something like 15 states and cities and counties around the country right now that offer some form of this reform and have done that since Citizens United. So folks there are not feeling discouraged and just sitting back. They are mobilizing. They're working together with, you know, policy experts such as ourselves and grassroots campaign experts on the ground to get these things going. So it's possible because it can be done, but it takes strong civic engagement, as Gregory's saying, and And we appreciate that you both are doing the public education and awareness. And if you're able to offer resources to listeners, you know, they can always come to our website where we have um, a number of resources for people to start getting their feet wet on this policy um, and, and learning what it's all about. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I know it's not the, you know, campaign finance reform isn't the sexiest topic out there, <laughs> but, you know, you need, we need to have these conversations and to be able to bring it to a level, um, kind of like what they say, you know, bring it to the kitchen table for people to understand, you know, how this really does impact them. You know, if you're sitting there wondering why the minimum wage hasn't increased in your state or why your state hasn't um, expanded Medicaid or and, and, you know, why gun control seems to be something most of the country agrees on, but we can't get anything done on it, then you have to peel back the layers and, and look at the political system and who are the politicians um, who represent you, who are they really, really, who are they really answering? Um, yes, you may vote for them, but they are, there are other bigger interests like corporations and, and PACs and money that's going into their pockets to influence them to vote certain ways. And so I think once you make it real to people that these decisions that these politicians are, are making um, have a real impact and it affects everybody. <laughs> you know, there's nobody that isn't affected um, by the, the big money that's in our political system. And so 
Um, as long as we keep having these conversations and try to make it real for folks to understand that, you know, every day you're being affected by this, hopefully, you know, they'll understand that they do have a voice and it's time to do something different and that there's a better way to do it. So I appreciate you both coming on and kind of giving your perspectives. And um, Adrian, I'm sure you have thoughts on it, too. <laughs> Yes, for sure. Um, Chisin and Gregory, I just appreciate you both for coming on the show. Um, we always tell our guests, you know, what you're doing is great. I mean, we're educating the community and trying to engage with what you're doing is, 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 is beyond that. Um, because you're really trying to show that, you know, connect the dots, you know, bridge the narrative and, and get people to, uh, finally listen and, and realize that their voice matters, that that civic engagement that you talked about is what we should be focusing on. And I hope that, you know, we can continue to build awareness, not only for the Brennan Center for Justice, but also about the issues you fight for. Because as we've all said throughout this interview, uh, all these are table stakes. All of these are issues that are bread and butter. Um, and until we realize the money behind, you know, the messages of our politicians, we don't understand the intentions that they're going to do once they're in office. So we really appreciate you both for being on the show with us. Uh, and what we'll do here, we're going to take our last break. And when Dev and I return, we'll do our ending as always. But again, uh, listeners, just to make sure you know, we've been joined today by Chisen Lee, who's Deputy Director of Election Reform Program Democracy, and Gregory Clark, who's a Research and Program Associate, both who belong to the Brennan Center for Justice. So we thank you both again for joining us today. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. All right, listeners, enjoy the break. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Black Agenda Podcast. We appreciate your support and we ask that you like, share, and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right. Welcome back, listeners. So as always, we like to end the show with giving you a look forward as to what's upcoming on the podcast. So um, our next episode after this one, our next episode is going to be our last episode for season two. I know you're very sad. It's been a great season. We've had some great topics, some great guests, but we are going to be taking another break and be looking forward to season three that is going to be coming out on Juneteenth next month. And so our last, uh, our last episode for the season will be next Tuesday, and that's going to be all about criminal justice reform. Um, so we're going to have another expert on the show to kind of break it down for us and tell us what, you know, what can be done to fix our criminal justice system. And so, again, you can join us next Tuesday, May 18th, as we end um, season two with our season finale. It's going to be all about criminal justice reform. And so also... Next Saturday, we'll be back again to give you all the news from the past week with our weekly roundup. That's going to be uh, May 15th at 1 p.m. Central. And again, if you don't know by now, um, our weekly roundups are all audio. So you will have to download the Podbean app to listen to us live. And again, that's the Podbean app. Download it to your phone. You can search for the Black Agenda and you can listen to me and Adrian live, give you the news from the past week. Um, so next uh, Saturday, May 15th, that's going to be weekly roundup number 17, 1 p.m. Central, live inside the Podbean app. Uh, again, make sure you download the app and then also make sure to send the link with to your friends and family um, so you can get them to listen. And we'll give you our opinions and thoughts on all the news 
uh, from the past week. And so, um, again, before we get off of here, we always like to let you know that you can donate to us here at the Black Agenda Podcast. And Adrian's going to let you know where you can do that. Yes. Uh, as always, go to our website. That's the easiest thing to do. You know, blackagendapod.com. Click the donate tab. Start giving a few dollars and cents. It's really easy to do. I always like to tell people why to give. Um, remember, we're here to educate, empower, engage. And to do so, it takes money. You know, whether it be paying Zoom, paying Podbang, paying Alitu, all the different moving pieces of our podcast and our production, or if it's trying to partner with organizations or maybe want to build an organization ourselves, your dollars will help to expand our mission, take it further than we even imagined. The other thing we always like to highlight is our charity of the month. So for the month of May, we're recognizing Campaign Zero. Campaign Zero encourages policymakers to focus on solutions with the strongest evidence of effectiveness at reducing police violence. One of their little slogans is, we can live in a world where the police don't kill people by limiting police interactions, improving community interactions, and ensuring accountability. So really, really great organization to highlight, especially with going into our last episode talking about uh, criminal justice reform. Another thing that we're doing, I guess to kind of end on with season two, but definitely going to season three with it is some of the new things, which is uh, person of the week, calendar of event. We're really hoping to kind of let those both boom, uh, be on the lookout. Like I said, season three, we're definitely going to be picking up both of those things and really trying to promote them and get them out. But even though we're doing our last weekly roundup uh, on this upcoming Saturday, uh, you can still, you know, uh, participate in the person of the week or calendar of events. You know, submit something to us via social media or info at Black Agenda Pod, which is our email address. So, yeah, Devin, we're just trying to do some cool things to end off with season two to take us into season three. So, yes, yeah, season three is going to be a good one. So, again, make sure you um, subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Uh, make sure you also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod is our handle. And you can also find us on YouTube. Uh, you could just search the Black Agenda Podcast. And so we just appreciate it, you know, you listening. But also we, we do ask if you could like, share, and follow any of our content that you see with your friends, family, coworkers, anyone um, who's around you, kind of share our content with them to try to spread the message here. Um, we're really just trying to educate the community on some problems and issues, you know, that really do affect us. And so, again, we want to send a thank you to Chison Lee and, and Gregory Clark from the Brennan Center for Justice. And we appreciate them making themselves available um, for a really important conversation about campaign finance reform. And so we'll be back. Uh, again, next Tuesday will be our last episode for the season. And so until then, we'll catch you next time.